the advertisement in the miscellaneous column of the Bristol Times and Mirror newspaper was extremely disturbing by today's standards. Wanted, it read, respectable woman to take young child. But this was a sadly common request in Victorian Britain, where life was particularly hard for unmarried mothers. It was in such an environment that Amelia Dyer practiced her gruesome trade for more than a quarter of a century. You see, she was an angel maker. Well, at least that's what she told her own daughter about the babies that kept appearing and disappearing from their home. So sometimes conspiracy theories are all fun and games and not true and a little wacky. You put your tinfoil hat on, but sometimes they come true. When the CIA releases documents and you find out, oh my God, that was real, it's a little bit shocking. So tonight I'm going to tell you about the MK Ultra Project. From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. Okay, welcome back to another week of How Did We Miss That? I'm Christine. And I'm John. Was that a question? I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy? No, I'm definitely John. I was just thinking we should probably apologize to our I was going to, audience. but you oh, completely good. cut me off. I didn't cut you off. I just, it's really on the forefront of my mind. Got it. I don't want to make anyone upset. Yes. So we do apologize greatly for last week. I had some oral surgery. Couldn't talk very well, was in a lot of pain, and I just couldn't make it happen. Yes, and I will just say as the, what am I, the executive producer, the uh, color commentator, the talent? Sure. I don't know. What, what am I? What am I, I to know. you? As the producer of this, the ringleader of the the S show, we pushed it till the very last minute to see if you could talk, and then by that point, it was too late to like yeah. put out a you know, I'm sorry we missed you episode or whatever. So we just took a week off. Sorry, everybody. Hopefully nobody uh, unsubscribes or whatever, but we back. We are back. It was one week. Hopefully it won't happen again. Everyone needs a little breather, a little break from the sound of our voices, I'm sure. So I hope you all enjoyed it. Now we back. Yeah. All right. And I've got a good one for you this week. It's an interesting one because it comes from Victorian, the Victorian era. In England. So obviously that's why we missed it. Because, you know, we weren't even close to being born yet. Yeah. Yeah. But when I give you the numbers on this one, I'm surprised we haven't heard of it like more often. Can you help me out over here? When is the Victorian era? I think we're assuming that our like audience 1800s? knows. Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Take yeah. your word for it. So my sources for this case were Murderpedia, of course, because where would we be without it? Yeah. And the crime museum, it's crimemuseum.org. Mm which is a really cool website I didn't know existed. It makes it official when you put the org on there. I know. Cool. I didn't know that existed either. I know. It was really cool. I found a lot of good information there. I'm finding all kinds of weird websites when I search up my things, and I'm really worried the CIA or somebody's (laughs) going to come after me. I think we can show them. Looking into their secrets. I think we can show them. Uh, We just have a podcast. Yeah. no, No harm, no foul. 
Okay, so let's get into it. Unlike many in this time period, Amelia Dyer was not the product of poverty. So poverty was like rampant at this time. You were either super rich or really poor. What's the date exactly? So we're going to get there. Uh, I've got 1848 here. We'll get there. Yeah. I always try to figure out like the... I can't, can never remember when the Gilded Age is with all the I know, right? big mansions in Newport and then that, that show we watched, The Alienist, what time period that is. But yeah, there's a, you're right, in that whole period, like pre and post Civil War, you were either super rich or nothing. Right. Well, she was born the youngest of five, the daughter of a master shoemaker. So I guess that would be a, a lucrative job to have people need shoes right yeah i think anybody making things back then was probably lucrative because we didn't have anything we didn't have anything so his name was samuel hobley and he had a wife named sarah amelia learned to read and write and had a love of literature and poetry but her privileged childhood was not at all perfect her mother suffered from mental illness that was caused by typhus Ooh, yeah Amelia was often forced to care for her mother during many violent fits until she finally died in 1848 when she was only 10 years old. The Amelia, not the mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know they did things a little different back then, but. Right. Yeah. No, 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 no 10 year old mothers. Time. Okay, good. So just reading that, though, I can't imagine what effect that might have had on her having to watch her mother going through these fits oh, yeah. and having yeah. to take care of her as a 10 year old. It's a bit much, I think. Yeah. Definitely be scarring. For a child? Yeah, definitely. So after her mother's death, Amelia lived with an aunt before serving an apprenticeship with a corset maker. So it seems a little strange, but that was common at this time period that children would go and be an apprentice somewhere. And what that would entail was that they would go and live with the master of whatever ship they're learning. (laughs) Craft. (laughs) That's the word I was looking for. Mastership. I said apprenticeship. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, I got you. I understand. Right. So they would live there with the person and they would learn the trade craft. These are the words that were not coming to me just a moment ago. Yeah, I got you. And it was common to send your children off. And then when they would come home, they knew what to do and they had a business. Oh, boy. I wish that was still common. I would send our kids off in a heartbeat. Go learn something. Go do something. Anything. They have trade school and boarding school, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's similar to college, too, I guess. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, her father died in 1859, so her oldest brother, Thomas, took over the family shoe business. In 1861, at the age of 24, Amelia married George Thomas. So she's 24 years old. George is 59. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's weird. Ew. Yeah. Especially for this time period when people married so young. Was it, That's thir- 35 years? I'm sure. Yeah, that's gross. A little bit. So they actually both lied about their ages on the marriage certificate to reduce the age gap a little bit. Yeah. George deducted 11 years from his his age and Amelia added six years to hers. Oh, meet you halfway. Perfect. Yeah. I still think that's quite a gap though. It is, but they literally split it in half. I know. Because I said it was what? 35 years. That's half more or less of 35. Right. Yeah. Crazy. Still still a bit much, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you've mentioned people get married younger back then. 24 seems a little late to get married. Right. wonder what was holding her back. Well, she was doing the apprenticeship, I would think. Yeah, and she hadn't met her uh, 
her beau yet. No. Okay, so after marrying George, Amelia began to train as a nurse, which was a brutal job in this time period, if you can imagine. Yeah. It was seen as respectable, though, so that's good. And it enabled her to learn some new skills, which is also good. It was through this job and the contacts that she made that she learned of an easier way to earn a living. She learned that she could use her own home to provide a place for young women who had conceived illegitimately Hmm. to give birth and then farming the babies off for adoption. Beautiful. I love it. That's like planned parenthood. Or Are we animals? We help women now. Yes. (laughs) So like I said, they would farm them off for adoption or worse, they found out they could keep even more of the money if they just allowed the newly born babies to die of neglect and malnutrition. Oddly enough, the woman who taught her this, Ellen Dane, had to escape to America to avoid being captured by the authorities for her involvement with this practice. Hmm. So I guess this is a good time actually to stop and tell you where I got the inspiration for this particular episode. Yeah, please do. So we like to show the alienist, right? We do. We enjoy it thoroughly. Yeah. And... I started to wonder if the cases in the show were based on anything or were true in any way. And I found out that the case in the first season was based off of a certain serial killer, but it didn't really fit too much with what had gone on the episode. But as I was doing more research, I found out the second episode was sort of kind of based on this woman here. Do you mean the second season? Second season. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. I said episode. No, I just wanted me. to clarify, but yeah, that's um very interesting. Right. So when I read this, when I read that Ellen Dane escaped to America, I had to think, oh, I wonder if she yeah. brought her practices with her. Mm-hmm. And that's how it kind of moved its way over there. So yeah. you know, I interesting. It's funny you bring up whether that show was true or not. While we were watching it, I was wondering the same thing because Teddy Roosevelt's a character in it. He, right. You know, you can't really go and make stuff up about a historical figure like that. I mean, I guess you can, but... Right, they even had the Hearsts in it. Right, right. So I, I started to get the inkling that maybe some of it was, you know, true in air quotes with artistic liberties, obviously, but right. that's really cool. Yeah, so... I look was, at it in a whole different light now. I know. So if you have not seen it, please go check out... Th- the alienist. I was going to say season two, but the alienist. Both yeah, of it's, them. it's isn't it on like Netflix and Sci-Fi and all, like a bunch of different places. Um, it's on. I thought it was TNT. Well, that's when it comes out live, but I think you can find the old seasons on HBO Max or something. Yeah, maybe it's HBO. They're floating around out there, whatever streaming service. Just right. uh, you know, Google it or something. Check it out. Check it's it really out. Really good. Yeah. All right, back to our story. So like I said earlier, this was a really hard time for unmarried mothers. In 1834, Britain passed the Poor Law Amendment Act. So we're going to do a little history lesson here. Basically, it took away any financial obligation from the fathers of illegitimate children. This is what led to baby farming, where people could act as adoption or fostering agents in return for regular payments or a single upfront fee from the baby's mothers. Hmm. So good old England. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like uh, not the best thing to do, but hey. (laughs) So what would happen is the people like Amelia would take in these young women and care for them until they gave birth. Then the mothers would leave their unwanted babies with them, with Amelia, Mm -hmm. with the people that were doing these baby farming. Yes. 
So she wasn't the only one doing it, but maybe just the stupidest one, I guess. I don't know. That's crazy to think that something like that even existed. Right. If parents were well off and just wanted to keep the birth a secret, they might pay as much as 80 pounds. And I found out that that would be like almost 1,900 pounds today, which doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't think anyone really had a concept of money back then. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an actual human. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I'm a, I don't know. It I just doesn't you. seem like a lot. I feel like it should be more than that, but whatevs. To save money, they would just neglect the babies until they died. Noisy or demanding babies were sedated with alcohol or opiates. Our good old friend, the opiate. Yeah. Hmm. There was this solution called Godfrey's Cordial. That sounds sinister. It does. People of the day actually called it mother's friend. <laughs> yeah. Get this. Like, is that like today's it, Benadryl? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, let me tell you what it does. Yeah. It was the syrup that contained opium. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, okay. give it to your kid. And it would basically put the babies to sleep so they wouldn't cry. Mm. But, I mean, if you think about it, if you weren't careful, then they would just starve to death. Yeah. If you just kept giving it to your kid. Yeah, yeah. They're never going to cry when they're hungry because that's all babies can do is they cry to let you know they're hungry or right. they right. pooped or whatever. I think that's like today's version of scissor. Purple drink. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but <laughs> that was like codeine mixed with oh, okay, opiates. It's a you know, okay, gotcha. People do it on purpose to get you know really messed up, I guess. Right. Well, mothers who tried to get their babies back or even just checked on them would often be met with difficulties, and most of the time they would be too frightened or ashamed to tell the police. So there was no way to force the issue. Even the authorities often had problems tracing any children that were reported missing. Because Amelia had to quit nursing after her daughter was born and her husband died shortly after, she decided to try and make money from baby farming and also by taking in expectant women. She would advertise to nurse and adopt a baby in return for a substantial one-time payment and adequate clothing for the child. In her advertisements and meetings with clients, she assured them that she was respectable, married, and that she would provide a safe and loving home for the child. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, she's not going to say, I'm just going to like let your baby die. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't advertise quite as well. No. At some point in her baby farming career, doesn't <laughs> sound so... Yeah. She retired after a 40-year baby farming baby career. Baby farming career. Yeah. Amelia decided it was just an inconvenience to let the children die through neglect and starvation and began murdering them soon after the receipt of each child, which allowed her to pocket most or all of the entire fee. So I was just thinking while you were talking that this is going to go down a dangerous path. It sounds like she started this to help, right? Mm. Illegitimate yeah. kids. I don't know, people that want to adopt them, but then you start making money and then you start letting them die out of convenience. Then you start, oh, that that's not fast enough. I'm just going to kill them. It just starts spiraling out of control. Yeah. So the fee that's paid to them is for the care of the child until it's adopted. Right. So... If you let them die, you get to keep more money. Yeah, and don't have to worry about trying to place them. Right. Don't have to go through all that yeah. trouble because it's so much trouble. Unbelievable. So for some time, Dyer eluded the resulting interest of police. She was eventually caught in 1879 after a doctor was suspicious about the number of dead babies he was having to report. Yeah. 
<laughs> Surprised it took would that long. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. However, instead of being convicted of murder or manslaughter, she was sentenced to six months hard labor for neglect. Mm. The experience allegedly almost destroyed her mentally, though. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sad. Must have been really hard labor. Must have been hard labor. Yeah. After being released, she attempted to resume her nursing career, but she had frequent trips to mental hospitals due to her alleged mental instability and suicidal tendencies. Though these always seemed to coincide with times when it was convenient for her to disappear, in air quotes. Mm -hmm. Being a former asylum nurse, Amelia knew how to behave to ensure a relatively comfortable existence as an asylum inmate. Dyer appears to have begun abusing alcohol and opium-based products early in her killing career. Her mental instability could have been related to her substance abuse. I mean, if you've already got some sort of mental situation going on, adding opiate <laughs> opiates to it probably yeah. isn't going to help yeah, that situation. Yeah, no, that's a recipe for disaster there. Yeah. In 1890, Dyer cared for the illegitimate baby of a governess. When she returned to visit the child, the governess was immediately suspicious and stripped the baby to see if a birthmark was present on one of its hips. It wasn't. Hmm. And prolonged suspicions by the authorities led to Dyer having, or pretending to have, a breakdown again. Yeah. Yeah. Dyer at one point drank two bottles of laudanum in what a is that? serious suicide attempt. It's it's a poison. Okay. But her long-term abuse had built up her tolerance to opium products, so she survived. Oh, my God. Oops. <laughs> Whoopsies. Inevitably, she returned to baby farming, of course. Yeah. And murders. But this time, she realized that it was a mistake to involve doctors to issue death certificates. Well, yeah. Hello. Probably. And At least she learned. Right. And she began disposing of the bodies herself. Mm-hmm. Her activities still drew the attention of police and of parents seeking to reclaim their children. She and her family frequently located to different towns and cities to escape suspicion and mm-hmm. regain anonymity. And of course, to acquire new business. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure after a little while, people will stop bringing their kids to you. Yeah. Word gets out. Yeah. You would think. Can I just point out real quick while you grab your other page? Mm-hmm. You handled anonymity like a champ. Thank I thought you. For, I mean, you mess up things like, um, oh gosh, what was the one you messed up last I don't Substantive. Remember. Substantive, yes. Yeah, but you I think that's a new anonymity word. like bam. bam. Anonymity. Anonym, you can't even do it, you see? I know. I'm working really hard this Most week. Most people can't. I'm trying really hard. It's really good. Thanks. Maybe it's the new uh new mouth parts. The new mouth Oh, yes. Maybe. Yeah. Having a big hole in the top of my mouth is really helpful. It's helping the words just flow right out. Probably. It's good. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you can guess that after having to move city after city after city, she had to use some aliases. You can't let people know where you're going. Yeah, you don't want to be Susie the baby farmer everywhere you go. (laughs) No. In January of 1896, Evelina Marmon. That's a really nice, a a really pretty name, actually, I think. Sounds very Victorian era. It does, right? Well, she was a popular 25-year-old barmaid. Mm. popular barmaid yeah what does that figure mean? out what that means i do know what that means she gave birth to an illegitimate daughter named doris probably due to her popularity probably due yeah. to that um she quickly sought offers of adoption of course and placed an advertisement in the miscellaneous section of the bristol times and mirror newspaper remember the one i mentioned at the beginning of the episode yes well Marmon had intended to go back to work and hope to eventually reclaim her child. 
Coincidentally, next to her own was an advertisement reading, married couple with no family, would adopt healthy child, nice country home, terms 10 pounds. The the baby or the payment? The payment. Oh, okay. You're confusing me with the pounds. I'm just kidding. I'm being stupid. Yeah. 10 pounds. That seems cheap. Yeah. It's a bit much. I mean, not much yeah. is what I meant to say. Like you mentioned earlier, this is a human being. <laughs> I know. It's an actual human. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Well, Marmon actually responded to Mrs. Harding. Mm. Yes. I'm sure you can figure out who that actually is. <laughs> yeah. And a few days later, she received a reply from Dyer. Mrs. Harding wrote that... I should be glad to have a dear little baby girl, one I could bring up and call my own. (laughs) She continued, we are plain, homely people in fairly good circumstances. I don't want a child for money's sake, but for company and home comfort. Myself and my husband are dearly fond of children. Mm -hmm. I have no child of my own. A child with me will have a good home and a mother's love. Oh. (laughs) Until I kill them. Until they die. Yeah. Yeah. That part was, you couldn't see that part. Right. That was on the other side. She didn't turn it over. Right. Yeah. She didn't didn't bother to turn it over. Evelina Marmon wanted to pay a more affordable weekly fee for the care of her daughter, but Mrs. Harding insisted on being given the one-off payment in advance. Mm-hmm. Guys, whenever anyone asks for something in advance, red flag, red flag. Yeah. Construction, medical no. procedure, anything. No. Tattoo. No. No. Never. Never. Mm -mm. While Marmon was in desperate straits, so she reluctantly agreed to pay the 10 pounds, and a week later, Mrs. Harding arrived to pick up the baby. Marmon was apparently surprised by Dyer's advanced age and stocky appearance, but Dyer seemed affectionate towards Doris. Evelina handed over her daughter a cardboard box of clothes and the 10 pounds. Still distressed at having to give up care for her daughter, Evelina accompanied Dyer to the Cheltenham. I think it's Cheltenham. Uh, Your guess is as good as mine. I can't see it. And then on to Gloucester. She returned to where she was staying. So she kind of parted there at the station, let Mrs. Harding take her child away. I can't imagine. Yeah. For just 10 pounds. Well, I guess she thinks she's paying it like weekly. So I guess that would make sense. But still, I, I... Yeah, I couldn't do it. No. A few days later, she received a letter from Mrs. Harding saying that all was well. Marmon wrote back but never received a reply. Dyer did not go home with the baby as she had told Marmon that she was going to. She went instead to her 23-year-old daughter Polly's house. This is a good time to skip ahead just a tick for anybody who wants to, doesn't want to hear about babies dying because it's a little much. Yeah. All right. So there, Dyer quickly found some white edging tape used in dressmaking, wound it twice around the baby's neck, and tied a knot. Oh. Yeah. Just so you know, in this particular way, death is not immediate. Like, at all. Right. This is like the last one where the guy held him underwater for 10 minutes or whatever. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Amelia later said, I used to like to watch them with the tape around their neck, but it was soon all over with them. That's terrible. It is. All right, you can come back now. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. Both women allegedly helped to wrap the body in a napkin. They kept some of the clothes Marmon had packed, 
but took the rest to a pawn shop. The following day, Wednesday, April 1st, 1896, another child named Harry Simmons was taken to Polly's house. However, with no spare edging tape available, the length around Doris's corpse was removed and used to strangle the 13-month-old boy. Hey, recycle. I like it. I guess more money in their pocket, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to buy more tape. You know, I, I don't mean to sound sick and sadistic here, but these people are quite smart hmm. with their business sense. I'm just saying. I guess so. <laughs> On April 2nd, both bodies were stacked into a carpet bag, along with bricks for added weight, because, of course... Dyer then forced the carpet bag through railings into the River Thames. <laughs> this is a very elegant story you're Isn't telling. It? I should have the used carpet a British bag accent. into the River Thames. Yes. Unknown to Dyer, though, on March 30th of 1896, a package was retrieved from the river that contained the body of a baby girl, mm-hmm. later identified as Helena Fry. In the small detective, <laughs> I just thought, I wonder if they ever called her Small Fry. <laughs> That'd be funny. In the small detective force available, they were able to make a crucial breakthrough. The detectives used microscopic analysis of the wrapping paper and deciphered a faintly legible name, Mrs. Thomas, mm-hmm. and an address. Oh. So she was not very careful on what no. she wrapped her babies in. Nope. This evidence was enough to lead police to Dyer, but they still had no strong evidence to connect her directly with a serious crime. Additional evidence from witnesses only served to increase their concerns. Witnesses are saying, hmm, little babies are going in there and not coming out. Yeah. You mentioned she wasn't careful. I mean, these people are always bound to get caught, especially when you go with the uh, river yeah. disposal route. They always wash up or something. I, mean, I know. How, how often does that work? I don't know. You got to go to the ocean, something much bigger than a river. <laughs> are we giving tips? Yeah. I tips mean. Now? You got to go to the ocean or you got to burn something because some kind of evidence will always show up. Always. Yeah. Or me- I think a meat grinder would work. Oh, stop it. I'm just giving advice. This is terrible. Uh, I don't like friend, this Some friendly advice. All right. Well, because she was so messy, the detectives put her home under surveillance. Mm-hmm. They were told that Dyer would disappear if she became at all suspicious, which we know she does. The officers decided to use a young woman as a decoy, hoping she would be able to secure a meeting with Dyer to discuss her services. Very smart back in the day. Yeah. That day, Dyer was expecting her new client to visit, but instead she found detectives waiting on her doorstep. On April 3rd, police raided her home. They were apparently struck by the stench of human decomposition. Ugh. Ugh. That sounds like a dire circumstance. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah. Although no human remains were found in the house, it still, I guess, smelled to high heaven. Oh, yeah. It's probably all the uh, droppings and... Yeah. Yeah. There were, however, plenty of other related evidence, including white edging tape, telegrams regarding adoption arrangements, receipts from pawn shops for children's clothing. Like, why do you keep the receipts? Are you going to put it on your taxes? Like, what? Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I mean, stupid. come on. Dispose of the receipts, my friends. Yeah. Anyway, she How are you going to get that right off, though? I, I guess. I mean, you got to do it. I guess so. <laughs> she also had letters from mothers asking about the well-being of their children. The police calculated that in the previous few months alone, at least 20 children had been placed in the care of Mrs. Thomas. So we already had... what? Who, who did Evelina 
Harding. Harding, Mrs. Harding. Yeah. Now we've got Mrs. Thomas. Mrs. Thomas, Mrs. Harding, and Dyer. Right. So these are all revealed to be Amelia Dyer. Mm-hmm. This rate of murder was led to some estimates that Mrs. Dyer may, over the course of the decades she worked, have killed over 400 babies and children. Oh my God. That's got to be the record for serial killers, right? Right. This would make her the murderingest murderess. The number one. I mean, <laughs> to how do you exist? Yeah. Ever. Anywhere. Ever. Wow. That's insane. So that's what I'm saying. Why do we not know about Mrs. Dyer? I don't know. How did we not hear about this? Yeah. 400. 400. Jesus. There was actually. That's I incredible. I didn't put this in my story because there wasn't enough information and they found that it's probably not. You know, it's obviously not substantiated. But right, right. Some people felt that she might have been Jack the Ripper. And all these prostitutes, sex workers, were killed with botched abortions. Mm-hmm. So some people thought that could be yeah. something she might have been doing in the early years since she was a nurse. Interesting. Interesting. But they haven't found any evidence to connect the two. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Helena Fry, the baby removed from the River Thames on March 30th had been handed over to Dyer at Temple Mead Station on March 5th. That same evening, she arrived home carrying only a brown paper parcel. She hid the package in the house, but after three weeks, the odor of decomposition prompted her to dump the dead baby in the river. As it was not weighted properly, it quickly floated to the top. Amelia Dyer was arrested on April 4th and charged with murder. Her son-in-law, Arthur Palmer, was charged as an accessory. During April, the Thames was dragged and six more bodies were discovered, including Doris Marmon and Harry Simmons, Dyer's last victims. Each baby had been strangled with white tape, which, as she later told the police, was how you could say it was one of mine, she said. Yeah. Eleven days after handing her daughter to Dyer, Evelina Marmon, whose name had emerged in items kept by Dyer, identified her daughter's remains. Dyer was tried using insanity as her defense. It took a jury less than five minutes to reach a guilty verdict. She pled guilty to just one murder, and on Wednesday, June 10th, 1896, just before 9 a.m., Amelia Dyer was hanged. I love it. Yep. I wish we still did stuff like that. Firing squad, hanging. So that's the story of the angel maker. That's crazy. 400. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised we've never heard of that. Crazy. Yeah. Absolutely insane. It's pretty sad, too. I mean, I mean people just must get addicted to the rush or the feeling they get from I killing people. I like, how do you know. How do you even pile up that number of people? That's insane. They're just sick. You don't have time to do anything else. Like, you have to keep a, a ledger. I got a, I got a killing at four and a killing at five. Right. In order to keep up that pace. You know what yeah, I mean? I'm, I I'm not joking here. That's well, crazy. Well, I mean, it was over decades, but yes. Yeah, but still. Yeah, but. <laughs> All right. What do you got? Well, I'm going to lighten things up with a little CIA mind control. All right. Yeah. Have you heard of MK Ultra? I have, but I don't know really anything about it. You have? I have. Well, when I typed it into Google, it's a band. Maybe that's, that's what you not heard? what it is, no. Well, it was a top secret CIA project in which the agency conducted hundreds of clandestine, clandestine, clandestine. I would say clandestine. Well, there's a magic E at the end. 
Yeah, it's clandestine. quiet. I guess it would be time. Clandestine. I, I say clandestine. We'll poll the audience. Who knows? Experiment sometimes unwitting on on unwitting U.S. citizens. So um, that's the part that was scary to me. Is like, you know, I'll sign up for a trial of a vaccine or whatever, but right, they were doing these on people in prisons and hospitals, and just like I, they had no idea that they were giving them LSD and all kinds of Ew. other things. Yeah. Pretty nuts. Sounds like born identity. Um, I forgot to mention my sources. Oh. Wikipedia. The born identity. The born identity. (laughs) And history.com. So you know it's legit. Yeah. And like I said in the beginning, this is a conspiracy theory that ended up being true. So when it was going on, people are like, no way. The government's not going to use drugs to test mind control and all this stuff. No way. You know, all the tinfoil hat wearing people. But then when the documents were released many years later, everybody's like, oh, my God. What? Was I one of the people that was oh gosh. unwittingly put under? I mean, how many how drug, do we know? How many drug addictions started from this? How do we know? You know? They were doing this to assess the potential use of LSD and other drugs for mind control, information gathering, and psychological torture. Yeah. So this kind of went on at the height of the Cold War, I guess. Yeah. Um, and. You know, I'm not really familiar with the Cold War. Do you know anything about it? No, I mean, not much. Not as much as I should. Yeah, it was Sorry. like it was like a, a war of words, basically, between Russia and it, us. Like, no, there was no fighting going on. No, and Cuba but it was, was involved. Like a, it was like a rush to see who could get the worst weapons is what I can. Right? right. Yeah. And it just went on for a very long time. And there was no friends involved. Like I mentioned on the last episode about Chernobyl. We could have totally helped them out, but they were they didn't want to ask because we had tensions. But we never fought. I don't right. know. It's weird. Yeah. It's like having that uh, that older brother that you just don't like, you know? And yeah. You never really fight, but it's like there's tension. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do. Though Project MK Ultra lasted from 1953 until about 1973, details of the program didn't become public until 1975. Because, you know, like the CIA does, they try to hide all their stuff. Of course. And many of these files remain hidden, but then some of them magically got, like, leaked in 1975. Hmm. So they tried to kind of just sweep this under the rug, but we found out. During a congressional investigation into widespread illegal CIA activities within the United States and around the world. We've talked about some of them before with things they did in Cuba. Right. And, you know... Pretty much every conspiracy theory I've talked about for the lifetime of this show has involved either the CIA or the FBI. Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty natural, especially when you talk about things in present day, like a vaccine that was created out of thin air for COVID, why people are skeptical. I think it was created out of thin air. No, I mean, there's, yeah, that's the wrong phrase. There's a lot of science behind it. It's a great thing. I'm going to get it as soon as I can. I'm not being an anti-person, but just speaking on behalf of the people that are worried about it, it came about so quick when usually these things throughout history have taken years and years and years. There's science to explain why it was so quick. But when you're a conspiracy theorist and an anti-vaxxer or whatever, it doesn't help. And then you Google and you go back through the history books and you see stuff like this and you're like, of course, of course they're trying to poison me or control my mind, you know? So that's how these things, yeah, that's how these things spiral out of control, you know, unfortunately. So I mentioned the Cold War, correct? Mm-hmm. In the 50s and 60s, at the height of the Cold War, the United States government feared that Soviet 
Chinese and North Korean agents were using mind control to brainwash U.S. prisoners of war in Korea. Mm. In response, a guy by the name of Alan Dulles, and I need to look him up sometime because I'm wondering if they named the airport after him in Maryland. But why would they? Because he was the director of the CIA. Oh. In the 50s, and he approved this Project MK Ultra in 1953. Hmm. It was a covert operation aimed to develop techniques that could be used against the Soviet enemies to control human behavior with drugs and other psychological manipulators. So the Department of like Biological Warfare cooked up some LSD and other psychoactive drugs and said, you know, we're going to use these against you guys. Hoping that it would act like kind of like a truth serum and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Well, where it all went wrong was that they decided to, like I said, go into prisons and hospitals and just start testing people without telling them they're testing them. Very secretive, like you said, Jason Bourne type operation. We're going to inject you with this hallucinogenic. People were wondering why they're hallucinating and, oh, it's good. It's good. It's okay. (laughs) Never told them what was going on. Meanwhile, they were under this operation the whole time. Jeez. Are you ready for this? This is where it's going to get a little sexy. Oh. Okay. Okay. This is called Operation Midnight Climax. Oh. And it's part of the MK Ultra project in which government employed prostitutes lured unsuspecting men to CIA safe houses where drug experiments took place. Ew. So not only did they go to the prisons and stuff like that, but they used undercover sex workers to say, hey, come have Operation Midnight Climax. Yikes. <laughs> Can you imagine putting that on your resume? I was the uh, head person in Operation Midnight Climax. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. That's my new uh, overnight radio show, folks. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> the CIA dosed the men with LSD, and then, while at times drinking cocktails behind a two-way mirror, they watched the drug's effects on the men while they were getting down with the prostitute. Okay. Recording devices were installed in the prostitute's rooms. Disguised as electrical outlets. I feel. Ingenious. I feel like this was just their nasty way of watching people get it on. Because what are you going to do with prisoners of war? You going to like bring some hot woman in? Yeah. Right. That's not ever a situation they're going to be in. So I think that was just a nasty way of. I don't know how they ever planned to distribute this. If it actually worked for what they wanted to. Like where are they going to drop a bomb or use spies to go like do a whole needle in the neck thing like you see on the movies yeah Yeah, interesting right most of these operation midnight climax experiments took place in san francisco and marin county california and in new york city where they would i guess the program had little oversight and the cia agents involved admitted that a freewheeling party-like atmosphere prevailed so you might be on to something there yay right Party all night long. An agent named George White wrote in 1971, of course, I was a very minor missionary, actually a heretic, but I toiled wholeheartedly in the vineyards because it was fun, fun, fun. What does this even mean? Is this guy on the LSD? Sounds like it. No, he's saying, yeah, I knew it was bad, but I just did it anyway because it was fun, fun, fun. Where else could a red-blooded American boy lie, kill, and cheat? Steal, deceive, rape, and pillage with the sanction and blessing of the all highest. Anyone else singing yo, ho, yo? (laughs) Every time I hear the word pillage, I think of that. It's going to add plunder in there for me. So there were some notable people that actually signed up to do this. Do you know who Ken Kesey? 
nope. is. He's the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, there we go. He volunteered for this project with LSD while he was a college student at Stanford. He later went on to promote the drug, saying that LSD-fueled parties, or I'm sorry, hosting LSD-fueled parties that he called acid tests. So he was working with them. Acid tests combine drug use with musical performances by bands, including the Grateful Dead, of course. Like uh, yeah. And psychedelic effects such as fluorescent paint and black lights. Sounds like a rave, right? Yep. Good times. These parties influenced the earlier development of hippie culture and kickstarted the 1960s psychedelic drug scene. So you see, everybody, we have drug addiction, the war on drugs opioid abuse and all these things we have the federal government to thank for it they started this psychedelic hippie movement Love the it. cia amazing unbelievable right mm-hmm. so while i was reading through this it started having me thinking like are all these zombies walking around on mass avenue out here and on the streets of los angeles is this some kind of secret government conspiracy are they testing heroin and fentanyl on people no. I don't know. It makes you think. Uh, I'm just does, saying. But you start combing no. through the uh, Google yeah. annals and you start finding all kinds of scary things about our government and what they can actually do. There's got to be some reason why the government won't step in and clean up this drug problem. That's true. Good I point. mean, hell, here in Mass, they were talking about having safe injection sites where they're going to give you the needle mm. so people don't overdose. I'm telling you, my, my spidey sense is tingling just a little bit. Okay. That's my story. I like it. Crazy. All right. Wow. If you would like any more information on these cases, please be sure to follow us on social media at How Did We Miss That? And I want to give a shout out for our theme composition to Audio Anywhere Productions. And you can find them at audioanywhereproductions.com. Until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other. 